Welcome this morning. And so if you, uh, if you could, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to pick back up this morning. But I just want to, man, just again, as Sean said, thank you for being here. Um, you know, every moment that we spend together in this place and in God's Word is a precious moment to us. And so anytime you're here, I'm just so thankful that we can spend this time together, share in this time together, worship God together. I'm so thankful for the praise team and just everything they do. And um, to be able to have this purposeful time where we sit together, get into God's Word together, allow it to instruct us, and then allow our kids to go and, and be taught the Word of God and, and what that looks like and what that means for them. I'm just so thankful for that. And so uh, this morning, if you could... Ephesians chapter 6, and um, you know, last week we discussed kind of the framework for Christian marriage, right? We talked about what God intends for the Christian marriage to look like, how those roles look, how uh, they may be different roles, but those roles are meant to complement each other. They're meant to kind of bring that work together, uh, that, that even though the husband and the wife, they have different roles, those roles complement each other for a purpose, for a reason, to reflect the gospel, to reflect God's nature from His church to himself. And so, you know, uh, this week what we're going to see kind of in continuation, we see kind of the same framework being laid out uh, by Paul here. And he teaches us on two other areas of life that each of us can find ourselves in. And each of us do find ourselves in this morning, either in parenting or in working. Okay, either in, in the way at which that we, we function in our home with our husband, wife and our kids, or just in the sense of how we are a Christian in the workplace, what that looks like and how we can live to lead. The, the, the subtitle this morning being Living to Lead. Okay, as we can live to lead in those two arenas that I feel like and that I believe in by how we'll see Paul laying it out here this morning, that these are very important places of leadership that each and every one of us can step into, can walk in and can lead in. And everything that we do. And, and, and we've been this whole idea, what everything we've been talking about in the book of Ephesians has been, been driven by this identity. Been, the title being identified, you know, that I am identified by Christ, what he has done for me. And that motivates everything I do from this moment on. And that everything that we do, as we talked about marriage last week, as we talked about parenting in the workplace this week, that it's all being motivated and driven by our position in Christ, being that sustaining and motivating factor in everything I do. Colossians 3.17, it says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So in all areas of our life, in all callings that we're doing it under the banner and the authority of Jesus, and this being kind of the framework that we're going to see this morning, okay? We're going to see God lay out this framework through Paul's writing here to the church at Ephesus. And so for us to remember, as we kind of... As we kind of lean into this, and, and I'll say this again at the end, but if we could kind of this be the, the, the phrase that drives everything that we look at this morning, that our responsibilities are God's opportunity to empower us and to use us for His glory. Our responsibilities are God's opportunity to empower us and use us for His glory. Glory, Because the reality is, as we kind of think about life, living to lead or, or live to lead, is that each and every one of us are leading people in some way, shape, or form. Okay, Each and every one of us, uh, at, at the moment we engage with somebody, uh, whether it's through communication or through our actions, we're leading people, whether that's in an attitude or an action, uh, to a certain destination. 
Um, no one is excluded from leading, okay? You can't opt out of leading because people see you, people follow you, people hear you, people react to you. And so each and every one of us, as we walk in life, and specifically as we talked about last week in marriage, as we look this week in the home and the workplace, that the way we live is us, we, we will be leading someone. Okay, we will be leading someone. And so for us, we have an opportunity that the moment we encounter, we begin leading and no one is excluded. And so the question and the challenge we have to ask ourselves, whether it's in the home or in the workplace, is what am I leading them to? That's our question this morning. What am I leading them to? And this morning, Paul lays out this framework for us as believers to see how we walk and lead in the way that he's called us to. How we lead people, we lead our families, lead those around us in the way that he's called us to. So we're going to read in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 1, reading down to verse 9 together. Starting in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray this morning as we continue on. Father God, I thank you for your text. God, I thank you for the framework that you lay before us. God, I pray that we enter into this humbly. God, I pray that you speak to us. God, challenge us where we're at. God, and show us what it is you're calling us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that I want us to see this morning from the text is that God calls us to this attitude of positional parenting. Okay? Positional parenting. First, focusing on the home. And this idea of positional being our strategy being our strategy, that the parents' responsibility with their children, and he has called us to this position. You know, first off, we see here, children, obey your parents, ask to the Lord, for this is right, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment of promise. You know, obviously we're seeing this call to, this, this structure, this framework, where children are called to obedience. But just like when we talked last week about wives submitting to husbands, that this is in obedience to things that are leading them to the Lord, okay? That you don't have, we are not called to obey leading to sin, but we are called to obey leading to the Lord. That doesn't call us to rebellion, but it calls us to obedience as to the Lord. And so... That's another message from another day. I just wanted to touch on that. But then moving forward, we see uh, the parent's responsibility, the strategy, the framework. And we're called to this positional parenting. And so for me, when I was looking at the word positional, a lot of the things I was looking at was kind of this idea of, uh, of preparation for a battle. Okay, a, a military uh, position that, that is used in considering war when dealing with an attack strategy or defenses. And so this is what Paul is kind of calling us to, this idea that as a parent that I need to approach it in a very positional way. Okay, with a strategy of attack and defense. And so the first thing we see here in verse 4 is he says, do not provoke to anger. 
And so for, for you as a parent, you can probably think in your mind right now of those very exact moments when you have provoked your child to anger, right? Because it's very easy to push them, right? We know better than anyone how to push their buttons, how to get them upset, how to stir them up. And so not only is it this idea of kind of welling up these emotions from within them, but it also communicates this idea of mistreatment, this idea of being harsh and unkind or overcritical to crush our children's spirits, okay? That's kind of the idea and the mindset that he wants to bring us to when he, when he tells us this. You know, because in, in reality, this, this idea of provoking our children to anger is an easy response because it flies out of us, right? When we're harsh, when we're critical, it's the easiest thing that we do because it's very emotional. It just flies out of us, and it's, what, it's, our, it's our nature, uh, that, that sinful nature coming out in us to be that way. And so it's easy, and the reality is that provoking to anger has no intentions of growth with it. And so to kind of bring into context what he's speaking to right here when he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And so we can look at that not only in the context as specifically to fathers, speaking to the people right here, but then even seeing that word, you can, you can put parents there too, okay? Because it also communicates this idea to the collective unit. But in context here, fathers in the Roman Empire, uh, they, they had a supremacy, okay? They were the big dogs, and they could make a lot of decisions, harsh decisions, just on their own without any intervention, without any guidance. And so one of the things that they could do in this culture is that as their babies were born, they could be brought before them for inspection. And so the Romans, they would inspect these babies, and they had every right, because the baby had no right and the wife had no say, they had every right. They, they could either accept that child, they could sell that child, or they could leave the child for dead. And so when you take that into consideration, when Paul is speaking to these fathers here, he is leaning into them and he's saying, do not, do not be this way to your children. He's calling them to this mindset of seeing them as valuable, as, as seeing them as worthy, as seeing them as, as worth their intentions and their time. And so... This is driven in this society by motivated, uh, motivated by external success, right? That if their, their child had a blemish or their child just looked runty or thin or whatever, they could cast them out, get rid of them. They seemed weak. They're, they're, they're no use to me. And so this was driven by a society motivated by external success. And so for us in our minds, we can maybe think, well, I would never provoke my child to anger or be, uh, or be critical or, or crush them in that kind of light. I mean, I, I, I accept them. They live in my house. I feed them. I love on them. But in reality, when we think about it from that perspective of an uh, uh, external success being the motivation for how we treat them, you know, there's a lot of ways that our culture cultivates that same idea, Right and how we can be overly critical of our children in a lot of different areas. You know, putting this, these expectations of perfection and, and, and never making mistakes, whether it's sports, school, their looks, whatever that may be, we can crush the spirit of our children in those very same ways. You know, um, and, and I think in a lot of ways, the people who maybe get it the worst are our firstborns. Mine, mine will know that I'm super, I was super critical on him in a way that I maybe haven't been on some of my others. And, and just even in a very repentive state that I, I've probably crushed him at early times in his life when I was just 
just pour it on. Just, man, do better. Be perfect. Do everything right. Like, why are you making mistakes? Like, why are you failing? Just crushing his spirit. You know, and then as you get to the fourth, you tend to lax off a little bit. But it doesn't justify what's done in the beginning. Now, we'll get to, to how that can be more purposeful in that encouragement. But for us to realize that we can very much provoke our children to anger, crush our children under the weight of either our expectations or pushing their vision to the expectation of those around them. Be the best. What are people going to say about this? You know, and just be smothered under the weight of that. And so we can get a good idea of what Paul is telling us when we, can look, when we look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So for us, we can look at this provoking uh, to anger or provoking our children to be a sense of discouragement. And so we can look at the opposite of provoking our children being encouragement. Okay, and, and what I want you to hear that, that op, the opposite of to provoke is to encourage. And the gospel tells us that this is our responsibility. Okay, as parents is to consider our children's feelings while still walking in our place of authority. And so what I don't want you to hear is what that means for us as parents to not provoke our children to anger or to, uh, or to encourage them. It means that we just leave them to do whatever they want. That we just let the reins off and let them act in any way they want because the Bible tells us it is our authority and their uh, place to obey us. Okay, We are as parents given that responsibility to lead them in a way where they, uh, they can obey us into things as to the Lord. And so for us, we have to understand that it's not letting go of the reins. Okay, I know there are people in my life that I've, I've, I've interacted with and known of that have gone and, and we live in this type of world that is so extreme that I'm not going to discipline my child. I'm going to let them figure things out on their own. They're going to do this. I'm not going to spank. I'm not going to do. I'm not going to. Uh, there's not going to be consequences for anything. I mean, even to as extreme as I'm going to allow my child to choose their gender from a baby up to grown up. They're going to choose that, and that's a reality. People are doing those things, living other things, letting go of the reins, and letting their child make every decision. And do everything that they want to do and, and live in every light that they want to live in and, and just fill things out. When in God has said, it is our responsibility to lead them. It is our responsibility to show them, to cultivate them. And we'll, move, we'll get to that here shortly. And to show them who God's called them to be. And that leads us into verse 4 where he says, Bring, bringing them up to bring, but bring them up. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so this, this word, I, I love this phrase placed right here, bring them up. These words together communicate this idea of nourishing and nurturing. Okay, of cultivating, of leaning into our kids' lives and being involved. Not being passive, not being inattentive, not being distracted, but being purposeful, having an active role in their life, and not being absent. This is what he's called us to as parents. And, and, and even for me, in a lot of ways, I, I'm, I can be challenged by this. I hope you're challenged by this because we live in a very distraction-filled world. We, we walk around, and, and I'm victim with these things right here that can consume us, just lean in, and where the, our kids can see more of the top of our heads than they do the front of our faces. 
You know, and God calls us to, he says, bring them up. It is your responsibility to nourish and to nurture, to bring them up, to cultivate them into the people that God is making them into be, that you as a parent, just like as the husband and wife, are involved actively in the sanctification of their spouses. We, as parents, are actively uh, involved and called to be involved in the sanctification or the molding of our children into the image of Christ. We are called into that. We are responsible for that. You know, just as if I'm thankful that when I gave my life to the Lord and, and, and submitted myself to his molding and making, that he was actively involved in my life. He didn't let me go to my own devices. He didn't just let me go. I, be, I believe per the scripture that the spirit of God comes into us and starts working with us from that immaturity as a baby and Christian to as he grows us. And so he calls us into that same thing with our children, that it would be ignorant for us to just let our kids, my, my two-year-old, three-year-old, decide what he wants to be, who he wants to be, how he wants to live, that there's no consequences, that everything you do is right. You know, we created this culture where our kids are never wrong. But the reality is, as we move on to the next thing, our kids are born with a sinful nature. They're born with a draw to selfishness. They're born with a draw to sinful things. And so God calls us to bring them up away from that, to cultivate, to nourish and nurture something different. Because, listen, the reality is if we're not nourishing and nurturing our children, they will seek that nourishment and nurturing from something else or someone else. Daddies and mamas with little girls, love your baby girls. Because if they don't find that nurturing and nourishing from you, they're going to find it from somewhere else. Little boys and parents, love your little boys. Nurture them, nourish them. Because if you don't, they will look for it in someone else or from somewhere else. We all want to feel nurtured and nourished and cared for and molded. And if we aren't doing that for our children, they will seek it somewhere else. And so that's why God, Paul calls us to bring them up. And the first thing he says here is bring them up in discipline. Okay, and this word discipline in some translations may say training and may say chastening. And what this is, is this idea of corrective discipline. Hebrews 12:11 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He calls us to discipline. And so what we have to lay before, all cards on the table, what we're talking about here is discipline. And we have to understand that discipline is different than punishment. Okay? Discipline is different than punishment. Though discipline and punishment may look and feel similar, okay? Discipline and punishment may look and feel similar. They are radically different. Punishment seeks retribution, where discipline seeks restoration. Punishment looks to the law, where discipline looks to grace. Discipline is intentional, and punishment tends to be more emotional, right? I mean, have you ever had that moment, maybe as a parent, where you've just kind of lost yourself for a second? That's punishment. That, that freak out moment where steam comes out of your ears and you just kind of respond that's, that's punishment, you know, where, where there's no purpose to it other than inflicting pain. That's punishment. And listen, what discipline brings with it is consequences. So it does not mean that there are not consequences. Hey, the Bible tells us that there's a rod, right? That there is, an, that there is physical consequences sometimes when we're trying to teach our children. But it's for an intention. 
Okay, it's for, it's for a purpose. It's for a reason. It's not to just bring pain because of a wrong that's been done, but it's to discipline. It's to teach, to show. Punishment looks backwards. Discipline looks forward. Punishment looks backward at what you've done wrong, and punishment looks forward to what we can learn from it to not do it again. You know, this is, and this is for us, for us parents, this is one of the most exhausting parts of parenting because it requires control and intention from us, right? Because it's a lot easier just to punish. It's a lot easier just to tear up that backside, right? It's a lot easier just to tell them just go to the corner. It's a lot easier to tell them just go to bed. It's a lot easier to tell them just go to your room, just get away. That's easy. It doesn't take work from me to do that. I can be absent and do that. I can do that over the phone. But God calls us to discipline, which comes with intentions and teaching and growth and nourishing and molding. That's what God calls us to do, leaning into our kids' lives and saying, look, you were wrong and there will be consequences from it. But why did we do this? How did we get here? Why did you feel like this is the way that it needs? And, you know, I'm, I'm not speaking in some ethereal world where everything's perfect and every conversation is just, you know, just really structured and everybody's real calm and like... Let's be real, right? I mean, there, there, there's this give and take in this work that we have to do within ourselves and with our, with our kids, and there's both their sinful people clashing. But even in that, even in our failures in that, God calls us to this intentional steps of punishment. You know, the Gospel Coalition had, had, a, had an article talking about this specifically, and they said discipline seeks two things. Discipline seeks a changed heart. You know, seeing a teachable moment while still issuing consequences, that that's not punishment, that's discipline. That, yeah, they may get a spanking for it, they may get grounded for it, but it's for a purpose, and, it's, and it comes through communication, letting them know, this is what you did wrong, this is why this is happening, and this is how we're moving forward. This is why this doesn't need to be this way. This is why we avoid these things. And listen, like I said, those conversations are hard, but as we discipline, our intentions is for a changed heart. The second thing is that discipline seeks changed relationships. That punishment requires no relationship. A judge can, stand, can sit at his seat, strike the gavel, issue a punishment, and it's done. You know, but what God calls us to is more of an attitude of where the judge comes down off of the stand and embraces the guilty party. This is what God calls us to. He calls us to relational discipline. That punishment requires no relationship between the judge and the guilty party. And we discipline to grow with them. We, end, we lean into their life. We're intentional and not flighty. And we lean into their lives. The pastor said this. said, there is only one thing worse for a kid than being spanked, grounded, or having their phone or computer taken away. It's being neglected. And punishment is neglect if there's not relationship there. God calls us to discipline from a place of relationship. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his repro reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So church, discipline equals delight. That when we are leaning into our family's relationship, into our kids' lives and disciplining them, it is showing them, revealing to them that we are delighting in them. 
I discipline you because I love you. As the God in heaven disciplines us, when we step off the path, he disciplines us because he loves us, because he wants to protect us, because he wants to see better for us. And what we have to do is we have to allow our discipline to become opportunities for instruction. Continuing on in verse 4, he says to bring them up not only in discipline, but instruction of the Lord. That discipline describes our actions, but instruction describes our words. This word instruction could also be uh, admonition, this calling to attention or warning, and this idea of teaching, that this is purposefully pointing to the Lord. He says an instruction of the Lord. So telling us that we are a conduit for Christ to Christ. As parents, we are a conduit to Christ for Christ. We are leading our children to Christ. And as we live to lead in our families, as we discipline and as we instruct, it is leading them to Christ. It is leading them to the gospel, leading him to his intentions. One of the ways we do that is by his word in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is profitable. I mean, it's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it says, Now these things happened to them as an example, talking about what's written in the Bible, but they were written down for our instruction because God, Jesus, is inviting us to himself, to lead them to him. And I love this story in Mark 19. Whenever there's a father with a sick child, and he's gone to the disciples, and they can't help him, and, and Jesus looks at him, and he says, Bring him to me. Bring him to me. Charles Spurgeon describes this situation this way in his encouragement to us as parents. He says, for, 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 Oh, for more agonizing prayer on their behalf. While, while they are yet babes, sin is there. Let our prayers begin to attack it. In the days of their youth, we shall see sad tokens of that dumb and deaf spirit, which will neither pray aright, nor hear the voice of God in the soul. But Jesus still commands, bring them unto me. When they are grown up, they may wallow in sin and foam with enmity against God. Then when our hearts are breaking, we should remember that the great physician's words, bring them to me. Never must we cease to pray for them until they cease to breathe. No case is hopeless while Jesus lives. I love the weight to the prayer and to our approach in that. that. That Spurgeon lays out so beautifully that I could never say it that well. So I said, well, I'll just let him say it. That he calls us to be praying for our children, approaching our children and being intentional with how we are through discipline and through instruction, leading them to Christ. As he calls out to us for our kids, bring them to me. Bring them to me. And so not only is it that space of parenting that most of us are involved in, or maybe even all of you, but then some of us as we lean in, can maybe it's just our work life. He continues on in these spaces that are very important because the reality is for, for all of us, in some way, shape, or form, we spend most of our time either parenting or working, right? These are the places we spend the majority of our time, and I think that's why it's important that we see these two situations here. And so not only does he call us to positional parenting, but he calls us to intentional working. Picking up in Ephesians 5, uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord 
and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So God calls us to this. Paul writes here as God calls us to this first thing. As we intentionally work, he says, work with a sincere heart as you would Christ. You know, our, uh, a lot of times our, our so-called secular life is disconnected from our sacred life. But what Paul is writing to us here is those things are one, that those things are connected. And, you know, and we think sometimes as kingdom of, that kingdom work or the work for Christ or the work for church happens after hours. When, like I said, in reality, we spend most of our time, uh, if, if you work, you're working or you're parenting. And so we spend most of our time in these spaces. And so he tells us that kingdom work is not after hours. You know, when you look at the book of Acts, all these miracles, all these things done out of the 40 miracles recorded in the book of Acts, 39 of them occurred outside of a church setting. 39 of the 40 miracles in the book of Acts occurred outside of a church setting. Do you see the weight of influence and impact that we can have in the spaces that is not limited to the hour, hour and five, hour and 15, if I'm really feeling froggy, in this time, that it is not limited to this time. The work of God is not limited to this moment, that he calls us to see it beyond that, that the way I work, that the way we work reflects the way that we worship. Because he calls us to worship in a way that our work is done from a sincere heart as we would for Christ. Spurgeon said this, As to the Lord means that all our work is really done unto the Lord, not unto man. Grace makes us the servants of God while still we are the servants of men. It enables us to do the business of heaven while we are attending to the business of earth. It sanctifies the common duties of life by showing us how to perform them in the light of heaven. You know, it should be said of a Christian that we are workers. You know, regardless of how, regardless of the stupidity of our bosses, regardless of the stupidity of the people we work with, the monetary tasks that we do, we should be entering into those spaces with gospel intentions so that we are honest, that we are hardworking, and that we are doing it not to, as he would say there, not as uh, I uh, doing the way of eye service or as people pleasers, but that as we are led by Christ into our workspaces, into the people that we interact with, that it, we would be leading people to Christ by the way that we work, that we work with integrity, with intentions, with, with, with purpose. And it's not for, uh, not just when people are looking, but it's in honesty and integrity that it's not for personal gain or affirmation from others. But I'm working because I'm a Christian and I'm a Christian that works hard and that I want to glorify God and show people that I work hard because I'm influenced and motivated by Jesus. And that hard work, you know, for, for any of us, it doesn't have to be I only work hard for the Lord in the Lord's spaces, in church or whatever, that that, that work spills over in how we do everything in our life. That we work hard in everything, not to please people, not to have affirmation from people because God is worthy of it. And through my work, the message of the gospel can be shown that I would love for every space that we're in for people to be like, man, you should hire more Christians because those Christians bust it. 
right? Those Christians work hard. Those Christians create a great work environment. Those Christians love people. They work well with people. They interact well. Like that's the kind of stuff we want the world around us to be seeing. And so in us, in our lives, when we're living in those spaces, working with gospel intentions, and they can look at us in our lives simply by how we work and live, can communicate the gospel, communicate how big and awesome our God is. That you know what? Man, they faced this hard issue at work. And they just pushed through it, man. They had a great attitude about it. And listen, I'm not calling us to navigate any of these spaces perfectly because I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We're fooling ourselves if we think we are. But it's still this, this approach, this intentional working that we step into and that we pursue to function in this way. In verse 6, he says, Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord. You know, our, our intentions for the way we do our jobs have to be driven by our relationship and our knowledge of Christ. And it can't be driven by the job itself. Because listen, the jobs disappoint sometimes, right? The people at the jobs disappoint us. The people at the jobs hurt us. Uh, the bosses hurt us. All these things go wrong and will go wrong. But if our motivation isn't the job, if our motivation is Christ and we endure those things. We are able to push through those things. And, and I think that this really becomes a problem in our lives whenever our work is what we worship. When our work is what we worship. You know, are you worshiping the job or are you worshiping at the job? You know, so that I'm motivated by what I worship, not motivated by what I'm going to do. Because like I said, sometimes our jobs can be discouraging. Sometimes our jobs can be weighty. And when our job becomes a thing we worship, Really, it pulls us away from all these other responsibilities that God's called us to, whether it's in our, parent, in our relationship with our spouses and parenting, and it doesn't effectively allow us to minister in our workspaces the way God's called us to. J.D. Greer said this, he said, When something becomes so important to you that it drives your behavior and commands your emotions, you are worshiping it. And listen, our jobs can do that to us, right, if we allow it to. It can drive our behavior, our emotions. It can do all those things to it if it becomes the center of our life. But if Christ is the center of our life, we step into those workspaces. We're able to be that example, to lead from the front, to live to lead, work to lead in a way that points people to Jesus. But just by the, simply the way we work. We work hard. And we have a great attitude and we, we treat people well. We work well with others and, and praise God through that. He creates opportunities where we have gospel conversations with people. Because that's the intention, right? is to create space to have gospel conversations with people. And that can and should happen in the place that we work, and those conversations should come by the way that we work and by the way that we live. So in conclusion, what do we do? So my challenge for us this morning as we prepare to leave, for parents, parent with purpose. Be involved Discipline for restoration and not restitution. Instruct them, you know, and in the busyness of life, interject opportunities to have conversations and to teach on the Lord. You know, and so how does that look in a busy life? Hey, maybe it's just as simply as praying together in the morning, praying together in the evening, praying together before some big event. Praying together while you're commuting back and forth from one place to the other. And use discipline when your kids fail, because they will, 
as you fail. Use discipline and instruction to point them to the gospel. And specifically, be praying for them in their futures right now. Pray for their future spouses. Pray for their future jobs. Pray for their, for their situations. Pray for whatever they're in right now. Be praying for them. And then for the worker. Be intentional about a level of work that is obedient to your expectation and evangelistic in its execution. That the way that you work in your workspace brings the sacred into the secular, allows the way that you live to be a worshipful aroma that the Bible talks about that is noticed, that is seen, that is contagious, that affects people. When we are a believer in Christ, we are given the Spirit of God and the power to work in that way. That you would do your job well and that you would worship at your job and not worship your job and that you would allow your work to glorify the Lord. That it would be, as the Bible talks about, that sweet aroma to the Lord. That we would let our work be that. Proverbs 3, verses 3 through 7, as we finish up. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Listen, whether we're married this morning or single, whether you're a parent or you're just a laborer, you just work, hadn't made it to that stage or, or your calling isn't to that stage of being a parent, that for all of us, as we navigate the framework of what God's laid before us, that we would trust God, that we would acknowledge Him first and foremost as individuals to allow Him to lead us adequately into those spaces that He's called us to, into that God calling. Because we have to remember that God, the Bible uh, uses the illustration of parenting and the, 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 the label as father for God for us. That God is our parent. He disciplines us, not for our hurt, but for our healing. And that God is our master. Our Lord calls us to obeying as a bondservant, willingly submitting out of respect for all He has done. Because God has done so much for us. And as we take that, bottle it up within us, allow it to lead you into the way that we are spouses to each other, we parent or we work, or even just as simple as how we deal with the people around us, how we deal with the people around us in these same ways, the things we've learned over the last two weeks, allowing it to be the things that lead us to the people and the places and the calling that we would be living to lead, and the thing that we would be leading them to is the gospel in Christ, understanding that none of us are perfect. We all fail and fall short. And that, like we say over and over, we are imperfect people seeking a perfect God. And that that's what we need to be leading people in, this imperfect pursuit of a perfect God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I thank you. God, I love you for who you are. God, I love you for, for, for all that you do. God, I thank you that as my heavenly Father, God, that you discipline me where I desperately need it. God, you discipline me not for my hurt, but for my healing. God, and as your bondservant, 
God, as serving you as one, God, whom you've paid a debt for, who you've paid a, 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 a penalty for. God, that I pray I would constantly just pursue you in obedience and submission, knowing that everything you lead me to and everything you do with me is because you love me and you have purpose for me. God, and I pray that if there's any here this morning that doubt that in the least, Lord, that they would see. God, that they would see that you intend to heal and to use and to love and to nourish and to nurture and to cultivate regardless of how sinful we may be or how sinful we may feel. God, that you are a perfect heavenly father that leans into our lives to actively be involved to bring us up. And Lord, I, I challenge parents this morning, God, to lean into their children's lives, to love them, to nourish them, to encourage them, to discipline them, and to instruct them in your word. God, and as, as, as laborers out in the workforce, in whatever capacity that is, God, I pray they work with intentions that are motivated by the gospel, by their works, shine a light on who you are and who you can be for them and for the people around them. God, you create gospel opportunities for gospel conversations where just working in our expectation leads to evangelism, where people could come to saving faith in Christ in our workplaces through our conversations. God, I pray for those opportunities and I challenge our people in that. God, I just thank you again for this morning. I pray that we would leave living to lead by your example into every calling and space that we walk in from this moment on. God, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.